You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. So this morning, we're going to talk about words. And the, the main theme of the message, I'm going to give it to you up front, so that it's, it's ruminating around in your mind as, as we go on for the next hour and a half or so. Now you think I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so the, the main point of the message, Jesus is the word. His words are to be followed because we are going to be judged by his words. Now let's unpack that. What does that mean? So let's pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. In Jesus, your word in the revelation that we have in the Bible Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son and then you, seed, you saw fit to communicate with us on our level so that we can understand you so much better. As with every time, Father, empty me of everything that is me and fill me with your spirit that these words are your words, not mine. Soften hearts and open minds. It is in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are continuing in, in John. Uh, we're jumping around a little bit. Obviously, this is John 12. We'll be in verses 36 um, through 50. Up to this point, throughout the entirety of John's gospel, we've seen a, a whole bunch of things happening. But here, towards the last six chapters, they move quickly after death, Jesus' uh, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Today, is it's really cool because this is Jesus' final public teaching. His last words are, it is finished, but what we're going to read today is Jesus pleading with, with Gentiles and especially the Jews to say, please, please heed my words. And then this is his final public teaching during the Passover week uh, before he is crucified and dies. So final words are important. Again, Jesus' uh, last words were, it is finished, but we hang on words. words. Words mean a lot. Last weekend when Pastor Jim invited me to preach at his church, I could have said anything I wanted. He wasn't there. I mean, right now, Nathan's not in here. I can say whatever I want. Words, words matter. Words can uplift us. Words can hurt us. Right? So it's funny how, how as humans... Uh, God knows that. He communicated with us on his level. Um, but we hang on people's words. In fact, there are websites aplenty about people's famous last words, right? And so words are important, even the words of not so good evil people. So we're going to read a few. Now, it I took me about two seconds to Google this, and I can't guarantee uh, their accuracy, but some of them are kind of funny. Marie Antoinette, the, the, the wife of uh, Henry VIII, I think it was, on her way to the guillotine, so she's about to have her head chopped off, her final words are, pardon moi, monsieur, excuse me, sir. She stepped on the executioner's foot and felt so moved to say excuse me to the guy who's about to cut her head off. Sir Winston Churchill, World War II, the, the British prime minister, loved by Americans and Brits all over the world, great man, led a crazy, amazing, accomplished life. His last words were, I'm just bored with it all. Steve Jobs, tech empire, built one of the most profitable companies on the planet. The first company to reach probably a trillion dollars in worth in human history. 
I'm going to make a judgment based on his book that he wrote before he died that he, he was not a believer. He, he did not accept Christ. He did not believe in Christ unless it happened on his deathbed because these are his final words. They were given to us by his sister Mona who was at his bedside because he had nobody else. His last words, and this is how powerful words are because depending on how you read them, the meaning could change. His last words were, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Now being that he wasn't a believer, it could be, oh wow. Or, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. <laughs> right? Who knows what he saw? I wish I, I wish I could have been there to see what he saw. And finally, save the best for last, a guy named James Donald French. He was the last, uh, last convicted criminal to be executed in the electric chair in the state of Oklahoma for killing one of his cellmates. Pretty brutally, actually. His final words, Mr. French's final words were, hey, fellas, as he's looking at the media, how about this for a headline for tomorrow's paper? French fries. His words, not mine. <laughs> so... Um, So words matter. So let's dig into God's word, right? So we're in John 12, uh, verses 36 through 50. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I didn't come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak of my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Wow. See, up to this point, if you remember back, you know, we, we, in John's Gospel, every time Jesus has been teaching, he's been, he's been pushing the glory off himself to God, and he's actually said multiple times, my time has not come yet. It's not my time, it's not my time, it's not my time. But right before this, in chapter 11... Jesus says, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says those very words. Some Gentiles come to talk to him, and that's the, that's the sign for him that the time has come. He doesn't want any of his miracles attributed to him. But he says at this point, in, in verse 36, he's, he's, he's pleading with the Jews and the Gentiles, especially the Jews, his people, that he's talking to, pleading with them. 
Believe in the light before it's gone. Because after I'm gone, it's going to be a lot harder to believe. So what's he, sons of light, what does that mean? See, God is light. In John 1, 1 John 1, 5. He's not made of light. He's not represented by light. He is light. Meaning there is no darkness. You can't have darkness if there is light. If we turned off all the lights in here, it's made it as dark as we possibly could, there'd still be light coming in the cracks of the doors back there. So we couldn't say we were in darkness because there would still be light. Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 12. Jesus says, if we walk in the light, we'll no longer be in darkness. That's awesome. Ephesians 5, 8. We're called to live as children of the light. Now this isn't any kind of light that we think of. The, the New Age movement has done a really good job co-opting scripture and they, they mentioned uh, love and light a lot. Oh, would love and light be with you? Well, yeah, the love of Christ, the light of Christ. That's not what they mean. So yeah, love and light, yeah, Jesus. He's telling them, Again, after, after I go, it's going to be so much harder. You guys have seen me doing the miracles. You've seen me doing the signs. When I'm gone, it's going to be a lot harder to believe. So surrender now. So you're no longer in darkness, in the sin of this world, covered in that darkness. And then to demonstrate his teaching, he leaves. In verse 37 is where John takes over. Jesus has been speaking up to this point. And in verse 37, John takes over because Jesus has left the scene. Scripture doesn't tell us where he goes. We have no idea what he's doing. But we can assume he's gone for a few minutes. Because now John gets up and teaches. And he's saying, you know, hey, th their, their hearts have been hardened. Jesus just said it's going to be a whole lot harder to believe. Why should we listen to him? Why, why this Jesus guy? And, and personally, I know that throughout my life, you know, I was raised Catholic and the question has come up more than once in my life of, of why? Why follow Jesus? Who is this guy? I mean, people, some people, the Muslims and other religions say that he's just a prophet. He was a good teacher. He rabbi, respectful, you know, moral man, moral teacher. But the Bible says way more than that. So why? Well, if we look a bit closer, we'll see why. John starts out in verse 38 saying this was fulfilled to the word, the word of Isaiah, the prophet. He's quoting from Isaiah 53.1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see, Isaiah in his prophecy was written 700 years before Jesus was even born. Nearly a millennia before Jesus is born. Even to this day, in a lot of Jewish churches, and most of them, Isaiah 53 is ignored in the order of regular service. Some even call it the hidden chapter, or the hidden verses. Because Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering servant. The arm of the Lord is revealed. What, what does that mean? What is the arm of the Lord? See, up to John's gospel, up to this point, if you didn't know this, it's, it's actually called the book of signs. Because up to this point, nearly every single chapter is Jesus doing some sort of sign or miracle. Turning water into wine in John 2. Cleansing the temple. I just lost all my notes. There we go. 
<laughs> Cleansing the temple also in John 2. Healing the nobleman in John 4. In John 5, healing a lame man. Feeding the multitude in John 6. John 9, he heals the blind man. And finally in John 11, he does the big one. He raises Lazarus from the dead after being dead for days. People knew he was dead. Jesus raises him. But Jesus' own people, their hearts are hardened. And John tells us he has blinded their, who? God. John is referring in verses 39 through 40 to Isaiah 6.10. So he went from Isaiah 53, now he's backing up even further to Isaiah 6.10. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Some people have a really hard time grasping the idea that God would intentionally blind people's eyes or harden their hearts to Jesus Christ. It's not fair. They didn't have a chance. Why? Why would God do that? So his will be done. Jesus had to die. God knew it. If he didn't harden people's hearts, Jesus would never have died. If the Jews would have accepted him and just gone along, yeah, he's the Messiah, great. Where would we be today? See, no doubt things in this life will happen to us that appear to be bad or negative or even cause pain and suffering. That's a guarantee. But the Bible tells us, the word of God says that God will use all that for our good and for his glory. Because even though they appear that way, he is in charge. He is the sovereign God. He is the creator. He knows what he's doing. The Jews thought that if they killed Jesus, they were going to thwart Jesus' ministry and shut him down and, and shut him up. But they were actually not thwarting God's plan, but they were fulfilling God's plan. The reason they, they didn't accept him right away is they, they weren't looking for a suffering servant. That's not what the Jews wanted. What they wanted was another Judah Maccabees. Judah Maccabees, see, in, in about 160 to 170 BC, he was this great, think of like the rock for the Jews, right? He was this great warrior who, who led a, a revolt, the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucids, a, a, an empire that was repressing and suppressing the Jews, and he won against all odds. This is actually why Hanukkah is celebrated. They celebrate Hanukkah because of the rededication of the temple after the Maccabean revolt and after Judah Maccabees won. So this is what they're expecting. They don't want a servant, especially a suffering servant. They want a warrior, a gladiator. But we all know Jesus was very different. In Isaiah uh, 41, 43 Jesus, Isaiah says, I said this because he saw, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Hold on a second. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory nearly a millennia before Jesus was even born? Well, folks, that's kind of what makes a prophet a prophet, right? What they say comes true. <laughs> and that's, that's why Isaiah is a prophet, because he was able to see things that we were, he saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ. But many, even though they believed, 
were afraid to share it for fear of what man would say. The Pharisees would shut people down. Nicodemus, if you remember that guy, came to visit Jesus at night, believed in Jesus, believed wholeheartedly who he was, but was afraid of the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee. How often do we, in our world, are we told, hey, you can believe whatever you want, just don't shove it down my throat and keep it within your four walls. It makes sense the world would tell us to do that because Jesus says do the exact opposite of that. Go into the world, sharing the gospel with everybody. So this, this, this brings us to verse 44. And we're going we're gonna to take some more time here. I'm going to read it again because this is 44 through 60 in six verses. We have the entirety of Jesus' ministry summed up. This is a summary of his entire ministry. And again, this is, remember, he, he went away. John teaches a few things about Isaiah. Remember these things, remember these things, and then Jesus comes back. We have no idea where he was. But all of a sudden he comes out, and what he says is, is then Jesus cried out in verse 44, and I want you to hear this. In the Greek, it's Iesus Ekraxin. Iesus Ekraxin. And what that translates to in English is Jesus cried out. It's a bigger word than just Jesus cried out. It's a huge word. Screaming in agony, writhing. That's what, that's what Ekraxkin means. It's a big word. So then, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world to be the light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I didn't come into the world, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them in the last day, at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal Life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So why should we trust him? His own people didn't trust what he was saying. His own people rejected what he was saying. Very few people around him were, were, were in his camp. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's an absolute lunatic. I mean, think about it. If somebody came up here right now and said they were God... Even if somebody today comes up here and says they're an apostle, we, eh, really? He is so much more than a good moral teacher or just a prophet. In fact, the Quran in Surah 9 says that, hey, Muslims, if you don't understand with all the stuff that's in here, go ask the people of the book what's going on here. The Quran in Surah 9 literally tells Muslims to go ask Jews and Christians what the truth is. Muslims, hey, Muhammad was a prophet. Yep. What makes a prophet? Well, what they say is true. You think Jesus is a prophet too, right? Yep. <laughs> Jesus is so much more than a good teacher or a prophet because what he says has authority. And he demonstrates his authority all throughout the New Testament. Matthew 28, 18, he literally says, all authority has been given to me. All of it. Jesus forgave sin. Read through all the, New, the Old Testament prophets, the, the major and the minor prophets. Not once did a prophet forgive sin. Not once did a judge forgive sin. Not once did a king forgive sin. Jesus 
forgave sin. Nature, the very creation around him, does what he says. Remember, he's, he's crossing the Sea of Galilee with, with the disciples, and, and, and this is where I, I love Jesus's, I love Jesus, but I love Jesus's uh, humor sometimes, right? And this is how I read scripture. He's going across the, the Sea of Galilee, and, and storm is going crazy, and he's just trying to get some sleep. Now, again, I was in the Navy, so like, even in a storm, there's like this gentle rocking on your boat. You sleep really good. And I just imagine Jesus getting up and going, guys, how many times have I told you it's not time for me to die yet? I'm in the boat with you. We're not going to die. Knock it off. And the storm just calms. Going back to sleep. He, he has authority over creation. People say sometimes that, well, Jesus never said that he was God. Well, John said in the beginning it was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the Greek, that reads really funny because it's like logos, logos, logos. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, I currently am and always have been. Human, the human body, the creation of humanity listens to Jesus. He healed people like crazy, the leper at Bethesda. You're healed. And finally, this is a big one for Christians. Remember this one. Jesus exercised authority over hell. The devil does not reign in hell. God does. The devil reigns nowhere. God does. In Luke's gospel, if you remember, Jesus cast out legion into the swine, into the pigs, right? Well, if you read that again, read very closely because before the, the demons possess the pigs, they have to ask Jesus permission to do it. Because that's against the natural order of things. Demons can't possess animals. Animals aren't spiritual beings. They can't do it. Unless the sovereign God and creator says, go ahead. And Jesus did that. Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the word. He has been there from everlasting to everlasting. He knows the beginning or the end from the beginning. Remember, one day Jesus says, and people say, well, God, Jesus never called himself God. Yes, he did. He was having a conversation with Peter. And he says, hey, who do people say I am? Well, some people say you're Elijah, John the Baptist, uh, 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 maybe Jeremiah. And, and Jesus asks Peter, hey, who do you say I am? Peter says Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, that was, wasn't revealed. You don't know that. God revealed that to you. Right, that's like, that's like me coming up and saying, hey, who's this guy right here? And then somebody comes in to me and says, that's Woody. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that. It was revealed to me. Peter knew from God who Jesus was. And Jesus says, you're right. That's who I am. Jesus called himself God. But he says we're going to be judged by his word. So he has authority. We've established he's got authority. And so he says we're going to be judged by his word. So what are his words? What do we have to do? Ten Commandments. No. Levitical law. Nope. Keep the moral law. Nope. Hold on a second, Chad. You just threw out the entire Old Testament. I know. So there's nothing wrong in keeping the Ten Commandments. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. There is no righteousness in the law, right? We're told that. Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. That means we're no longer under the law. Romans 6, 14 through 15. It says that if, if Christians are to be free from sin, we must therefore also be taken out from the law's binding authority. 
So does that mean the Ten Commandments don't apply? I could make a very good argument that, yes, they don't apply. Hold on a second. Everything I've learned in church, you just threw out the window. But hold on. You see, Jesus took it up a notch. As a matter of fact, he took it up about an infinity number of notches because Moses said, don't commit adultery. And what did Jesus say? Well, if you look at somebody with lust, you've already committed adultery. Moses said, don't kill, don't murder. Jesus said, hey, if you have anger or hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already done it. See, Jesus took it up to infinity level. Eden was one command. The Jews had about 613 commands. The new covenant under Jesus is an infinite number because he's more concerned with our heart. He's more concerned with what's going on inside of us and our motivations behind our actions. Moses said, don't lie, don't covet. Jesus said, turn the cheek 70 times 7. Turn the other cheek 70 times 7. Well, how many is that, Rabbi? Forever. Forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Well, yeah, but what if my wife does... Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, said the secret to happy marriage is two good forgivers. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, you know, like the number two, right? I said, no, no, no. It's T-O-O. That's the way I see it. It's too good of a forgiver. See, if, you, if you're constantly this mode of forgiving your spouse for everything, even the little nitpicky stuff they do, your marriage might be pretty cool, right? You're not worried about serving yourself. You're worried about serving somebody else and forgiving them. Jesus demanded we live according to his teachings. He lived according to his teachings because he was sinless. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Okay, so I've said it's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the Levitical law. It's not the, the ceremonial law. It's not the moral law. What, what is it then? See, Jesus, being our creator, knows we're pretty simple folk. And he breaks it down very simply in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, at this time, remember, they have 613 laws. So you're this great teacher, you're this great rabbi, which one's the greatest one? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. If you bring in Luke's gospel, it has strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, he says, the entire Torah rests on these two commandments. So if you ever go through your life asking yourself, well, is, is, is XYZ a sin? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? As, as the high school pastor, I get that a lot, <laughs> right? Well, oh yeah, well, is this a sin? Okay, well, it's like kind of like a Jewish mindset, right? This just big checklist. No, Jesus made it very simple. Well, does XYZ fit loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, and loving your neighbors yourself? No, not really. Then it's probably sinful, but the good news, literally the gospel, is that we're forgiven for all the stupid things we do. Again, did I say I was a sailor? Um, so how do we do this? Right, we, know, we know what Jesus is saying. He was established as authority. We know his command. We know what we're supposed to do. Now how do we do it? A.W. Tozer is a, is a pastor and, and an amazing wordsmith. If you've never read any of his things, I suggest uh, C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, amazing stuff. He says in one of his books, quote, 
what can we plain Christians do to bring back the departed glory? Is there some secret we may learn? Is there a formula for personal revival we can apply to the present situation, to our own situation? This is in 1948. The secret is an open one which the wayfaring man may read. It is simply the old and ever new counsel, acquaint thyself with God. Okay, that's kind of cryptic. How do you do that? We need to abide in God's word. We need to abide in his presence. And we need to invite his spirit to guide our every footstep. Psalm 119, verse 133, is an amazing way to start your day every day. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. What a great way to start your day. God, I know this day, I know sin's gonna, temptation's gonna come my way. It's gonna be a really rough day. I've got this meeting, I've got to meet with this person. I really, really like that person. So God, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Direct my footsteps today, God. Direct my footsteps. Well, how do we do that? It's right here. If we abide, if we stay in, if we study, if we revere his word, He'll guide our footsteps. It's pretty easy. I'm going to leave you with four practical steps. Number one, find, find and read a daily devotional. There's bazillions of them out there. Right? The, the Bible app has them that will pop up on your phone every day so you have a little bit of accountability, right? While you're reading a devotional, I would challenge you to get a commentary. If you don't know what a commentary is, Google it. I just got the NIV application commentary. It's amazing, um, really simple um, to help you really study and understand what's, what's going on in Scripture because, again, sometimes the Greek, uh, it, it's, there's a lot there. So get a commentary along with your devotional and really study. If that means you spend an entire week or two weeks or three weeks or a month on one or two verses, awesome. You want to know how to memorize Scripture? It's a good way to start. Number two, Pastor Nathan talked about life group leaders. Well, guess what comes up after leader recruitment? Join a life group. If you're not part of one, I know there's people in here that I know are in marriage groups together. Some of them are in separate ones. I'm telling you, there are people who could stand up and give you a testimony about how their life group has been the life of their life. They have been the backbone of their life to help them and share with them the love of Jesus because God said, even when he created Adam, what did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. God didn't intend for us to go through this life alone. We're supposed to be in communion, and that's where church is. That's the whole motivation behind Alpha. That's where church is. Number three, and this is a selfish plug. Sign up for a LifePoint University class. The, the young generation of the, of the 20s, late teens, early 20s, and the mid-20s have a really big problem of going out in the world, being raised in church, going out in the world. There's a million testimonies about it. Of being faced with the hard questions in science and, and philosophy, and they get explanations from educators and, and, and very, very, very intelligent people. And they say, well, hang on, that's not what I was taught my whole life, and that makes way more sense. Why? Because that's not what I was taught my whole life going to church, being in a life group, learning the deeper stuff and not being afraid of words like hermeneutics. 
and apologetics, I promise they're really fun. <laughs> so join a LifePoint University class. Finally, a great tool that can go with all of this is Right Now Media. Some of you have it. I don't know if you know LifePoint has it. It's available for free for you all. All you have to do is sign up for it. You can literally text right now, space LPAZ to 41411, and you get a link to sign up for Right, right Now Media. There's like 18,000 resources on Right Now Media. Tony Evans, Matt Chandler, uh, Francis Chan, uh, uh, you name it, all there. J.D. Greer, I went through a, a, a video series on judges. It was amazing. It's like Judges is like this really cool, dramatic, like comic book stuck in the Bible. It's awesome. Jesus is the word. His words are to be followed because we will be judged by his words. Now, if you're sitting here as a believer wondering what that looks like, if you've accepted Christ and you've, you've, you've received God's free gift of grace, man, that is such a hard thing to wrap our minds around. Because the truth is, if Hitler came to salvation on his deathbed, he is in heaven with God for eternity. Well, that's not fair. He was a horrible person. Yeah, I agree. That is why we do not understand God's grace. We just cannot wrap our heads around it because in reality, none of us deserves it. So if you are sitting there as a believer, you're saying, yeah, I've already done that checkbox, checkbox. Are you living this out? If you were accused of being a Christian, would you be convicted? Some of the scariest words in the Bible, when I gave my life and recommitted my life to Christ and got baptized as an adult, some of the scariest words are Jesus saying to you, oh, you talk a good game, but I don't even know who you are. That, that, that just hits right here, being, going into heaven and being face-to-face with Jesus and saying, hey, good job, dude. You thought you were on the right path. I don't know you. For the non-believers in the room, judgment is a big word. It really is. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a heavy realization that we come to that we're going to face Judgment. From the, from the creator of everything we see. The beautiful thing is, the penalty for all the stuff that we have done has already been paid. Jesus Christ, the authoritative, incarnate God in man, died. So when we face judgment, our sins are gone. They're wiped away. So I'm going to invite the band back out as we get ready for communion. If you're in here right now and judgment's a heavy word, you're feeling kind of guilty or, or, or shamed for the things you're, you're thinking, man, I'm going to be judged and this is not going to be good. I urge you right now to get up Come up to the front. There will be prayer warriors up here with you. There will be elders, pastors will be up here to pray with you. And their greatest joy, I promise you, is to share with you what it means to give your life to Christ. And there are people in this room who I know, myself included, our testimonies, we were wretched, evil, horrible people before we came to Christ. And what he can do with that is amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
Would you pray with me? God, you are, you are the creator of everything, the, the sovereign God of, of everything that we see. Thank you. Thank you. We can't, thank you doesn't even cover it. But God, right now, I, I beg you to send your spirit in this room on anybody in here who is, who is questioning their faith, who's doubting their faith, who doesn't know your son Jesus, that your spirit move in this room. Soften their heart, soften their mind. Give them the courage to stand up and admit that they're a sinner. Because the beautiful thing is you gave us your son, your only son, to die for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Um, communion at LifePoint Church, there's, there's only one requirement, is that you have a relationship with Jesus. So you have some time to move about the room. Don't come into communion lightly. Please, please, as you get up, there's three stations in the front. There's three stations in the back. There's a gluten-free station in front of me. As you get up to get the elements and return to your seat, spend a few moments in prayer. You can't pray too much, I promise. Spend a few moments in prayer just giving your heart over to Jesus, even if you already have, and saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done this week. Every, every little thing that I've done this week, I'm sorry. Take the time, three stations in the front, three stations in the back. Please gather the elements. Again, I can't urge you hard enough that if you're sitting there and you stumbled in here today or somebody dragged you in and you're thinking, man, I don't know what this Jesus guy is all about, but I want to know. Please, prayer warriors up front, come talk to them. our way back to our seats. Communion is, is one of the two ordinances that God gave us. The other is baptism to, to remember. Communion is to remember what Jesus did. See, on his, on his, before he goes to die, he sits down with his disciples, breaks bread with them, and reminds us every time we gather to break bread, to remember his body. It's a symbol of his body, which is broken for you and I. Please eat the bread at this time. Again, towards the end of the supper, Jesus took a cup and raised the cup, gave thanks to God, glorified God, and said, do this in remembrance of me. Drink this as you remember my blood, which was poured out to cover your sins. Please drink. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your son, Jesus. 
the unfathomable, ununderstanding, not understandable covering of your grace. Thank you, God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.